0: Good morning, everyone. The first reading is from Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom all else he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sin... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. I must say, when I read this at home before I came, I was a bit taken aback of the intensity of that reading. And uh, the second reading, which is from Psalm 29, is um, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf. Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace.
1: Thanks, Carol. Yes, I was um, struggling with the uh, chorus of that hymn. And um, we we were just commenting, it was hard to get with the program. And I found that quite a bit this week at CMS Summer School. I I wasn't quite up to scratch. And someone said to me, you know what this means, don't you? You're getting old. (laughs) It cannot be true. Uh, But there you go. Um, a, A new rendition of a great old hymn, and I might be a little bit older 2024. Well, uh, we start the year with psalms, not simply because uh, they are convenient, <laughs> which I know I know some churches uh, steer away from them for, but because the psalms are a collection of um, individual poems written in praise of God, which have a, a specific purpose in calling God's people to praise. And so, uh, at the beginning of a new year, they really form quite a wonderful moment or or place with which we can reflect with God's word on what our relationship with God is like and is to be like. And so I pray this morning as we come to Psalm 29 and we hear the call to ascribe praise and glory to him because he's the powerful God who speaks, uh, I hope this will really help you in setting your sights on the year ahead of how you want to walk with the Lord Jesus ascribing him the glory in your life. So let's pray as we come to God's word and ask that it might have a great work in our life. Our Father, you are worthy to receive glory, honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. We thank you that we can now listen to your word, the same word that spoke this world into being and we ask that you would please impact our hearts so that we will ascribe all glory to you. Amen. Well, I'm going to begin with a slightly awkward confession. I desire other people give me recognition. I told you it was awkward. Uh, I desire that other people give me recognition and even glory. Uh, Why is this? Well, it's because I feel things that I do, whether it's the washing up, I do the washing up very well, I might say, uh, or uh, whether it's something in and around church, whatever it is that I might be doing, I feel like it's worthy of recognition. And, of course, that is a pretty uh, awkward thing to say before a group of people, but I feel this is a safe company in which to share this awkwardness, since I'm confident it's one that we all share. We all are self-glorifying beings. We all greatly appreciate being noticed, having our work uh, approved by others. It's something of a common human foible. Uh, At the very least, we want to be recognized as a good bloke or a good woman. Well, in Psalm 29, We're called to see that glory needs to run less in our direction and must be presented to God for his great glory and goodness. Psalm 29 is a call to Israel and to us to disregard gaining glory for ourselves but instead to see that God is glorified in his world and that he is recognised for who he is, the God who has powerfully spoken, the God who has brought this world into being, the God who has given us the breath of life, the God who seeks to lead us, the God who has sent his own son in order to redeem us, the God who wants relationship with us. It's quite a short psalm, 11 verses, and yet it brings a powerful challenge to our self-glorifying hearts. You'll notice it's written by David, king of Israel. That dates it to about a 1000 BC. So we're looking at a 3000-year-old poem, and it tells us the perspective of this man, David, who was the king or the messiah of Israel at the time, the forerunner of Jesus, Whose words prophetically point to the fulfillment Jesus will bring as the one who perfectly ascribes glory to God and enables us to be presentable in God's sight. The structure of the psalm is quite clear. Uh, We're going to look at it in three sections. Firstly, verses 1 and 2 call Israel and call us as God's people to ascribe God the glory. In verses 3 to 9, we see why. Uh, We see that it's his voice that thunders in creation. And in verse 10 to 11, we read about his eternal rule and provision for his people. We have so much to praise him for and give thanks for. You might notice that the heart of Psalm uh, 29 in verses 3 to 9 makes up the larger part of this ancient poem. It's the thundering reality of the voice of God which drives the psalm's call to ascribe him the glory and to recognise his rule and provision. Ascribe him the glory, verse 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Who is David calling to? I know that's an obvious question with an obvious answer. But who is David calling to? Well, he's praising God. But of course, the call that he's making is actually to uh, the group who he wants to respond. So in verse 1... You see there, he makes the call, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Who are they? Uh, Well, this phrase, heavenly beings, in the Hebrew, is actually, ascribe to the Lord, you sons of God. So that's quite interesting, particularly if you're a bit nerdy uh, and you you like these kind of things. uh, But... Who are the sons of God in the Old Testament? That's a really interesting question because it is a phrase that's often used of heavenly beings, but, you know, more often it's a phrase that's used to describe Israel, who are the son of God or the sons of God. And so there's a bit of a tension here at the beginning of the the poem. Who is the psalm calling upon to ascribe glory to God? Is it angelic beings who we might say perfectly reflect God's praise around his heavenly throne all the time? Or is it Israel, who David is personally calling to give God the glory? Uh, My hunch is that it's the latter, but most commentators hedge their bets and say it's both. So I, I think we can take encouragement. We might say, well, this captures everyone the angelic beings, the human beings who are called to ascribe glory to God. It's a call that David is making in the midst of the assembly as this psalm is read within the temple to give God the glory that he so well deserves. Uh, Ascribe isn't a word that we use much in English. So I looked it up and the definition of the English word means this, to regard a quality as belonging to. To regard a quality as belonging to. Uh, And, you know, that might not sound so thrilling, but in actual fact David is calling his people to recognise that God has a quality that is entirely unique to God and doesn't exist in the world. God alone has this glory that is worthy of praise. It's unique to him. Certainly, these qualities uh, that God is praised for in the psalm may in some small way be shared by us as we go about our life made in the image of God, but ours are mere reflections of his ultimate glory. And in verse 2, the sense of this is captured in the necessity of glorifying God. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. His name alone is worthy of glory and honor and power as the angelic beings of Revelation 4 at the other end of the Bible sing. His holiness is unparalleled, And alone demands our worship. Here are remarkable words from David. And I want you to see how remarkable his words truly are. Just think about David, a world leader, a political leader. Now think about our political leaders. His words are astonishing... Uh, David is the king of Israel, the uh, the political leader of God's people, and he points away from himself, which he could so easily have pointed to, and he points to God, who he says alone deserves human praise and glory. How tempting it must have been for David to take praise and glory from Israel. I mean... He alone was the one who had felled Goliath. He alone uh, had conquered, well, not alone, but, but very successfully, had conquered nations in battle. Saul his thousands, David his tens of thousands. It was David who brought in the golden age of Israel and claimed Jerusalem. What a glorious king he was. And yet David didn't fall for it. We don't know if this psalm was written before or after other events in his life, like the rather unfortunate episode with Bathsheba and Uriah. Regardless, David was a man who knew that he wasn't glorious. And in fact, the collection of the psalms captures his personal confession to be a man with sin in his life who desperately needed God's forgiveness. He wasn't deceived by human accolades or his position or even his own imagination. He knew that God alone deserved glory from his lips. We might uh, see David as a a precursor to Jesus. Uh, David, uh, a small messiah, if you like, the, the precursor to Jesus, Jesus, our perfect king, And we see this attitude of heart displayed most clearly in Jesus, don't we? When Jesus is tempted in the the desert by Satan, all three temptations, bread from stone, angelic rescue and worldly power, all three offered Jesus glory and in his case it was the glory he deserved. He actually deserved to have bread uh, come to life from stones to eat. He deserved angelic rescue, he deserved... Uh, world rule but of course he didn't grasp it but chose to serve his father's glory the psalm challenges each of us whose glory do I seek my own or my God do I ascribe glory to God what is uh, the way I do that How do I glorify God by my words and through my actions? Uh, I was speaking with a a friend from another Christian tradition, quite a distant tradition. So think orthodoxy or something like that. And uh, this really struck me. I don't really know the the background of this, so this isn't really a critique of of, uh, this particular attitude or, or necessarily saying that they get it all right. But I I met this friend and I said, how are you? As you do. He responded, "Uh, I am well, thanks be to God. I was shocked. As we went on in in the conversation, I said, how is your church going? Giving away, he may be in professional ministry. And he said, yes, by thanks to God, our church is going well despite COVID. I thought I never say that and it suddenly occurred to me that uh, for good reason or bad this church tradition this Christian tradition had done something that I thought was exceptional in our secular world God takes gets no mention does he if someone says how are you say good Um, but in this Christian tradition what stood out to me so strongly is they had decided to actually put God back in where he deserves the praise, and it was quite an astonishing witness. And so it got me thinking, how might I better ascribe to God the glory? Well, it can be in the smallest of ways, but it can make such a profound impact in the way that we actually conduct our conversations, and not only with Christian brothers and sisters, but with any who are asking how we are. Now, uh, I, I am not saying that you should drive all your non-Christian friends absolutely bonkers by starting every phrase, by saying, thanks be to God. But uh, using wisdom, I think there are opportunities that we can take to do that very thing and, and change the way our secular conversations work to bring God the glory where he so well deserves it. So do think that through at the start of a new year, how will you ascribe glory to God? Well, the main section of the psalm provides us with both motivation and content with which to glorify God. And it's in his word that we see the source of David's praise because David sees that God's voice thunders in verses 3 to 9. You might have already noticed as we read through the passage, but it certainly uh, becomes quite noticeable here in the middle section that uh, the way David is referring to God in the psalm is quite particular. You might have noticed that all the 18 references to the Lord are actually capitalised, and if you're not familiar with the NIV as a version, what the NIV is trying to do when it uses the capitalised word Lord, L-O-R-D, is it's trying to capture what um, we sometimes call the tetragrammaton, which is the four-letter word for God, that the Old Testament uses, um, Yahweh, and it's a particular word. It's not just like the other terms for Lord or Master. This is the personal name of God and it recalls a great deal of what God has done in the history of Israel because, of course, this is Yahweh who has met Moses at the burning bush revealed who he is. I am who I am. This is Yahweh who walked with Moses and through uh, the plagues led Israel out of slavery, from slavery into the promised land. This is Yahweh who has acted for redemption for Israel. This is Yahweh who has powerfully worked for Israel's freedom by speaking. And, of course, this is Yahweh, who David reflects, has brought the world into being by his voice. Uh, Eighteen times Yahweh is mentioned and it brings Israel a source of praise. Firstly, uh, the voice of the Lord has thundered in creation, verse 3 and 4. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Through God's powerful word, the world is formed. Life is brought forth and the universe exists and is sustained. Secondly, we're taken to Ideas of the Passover, the Red Sea crossing, God's deliverance in verses 7 to 8. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. But Mount Sinai is powerfully remembered where Israel begged Moses to ask God to stop speaking. And you might recall that for Israel, hearing the voice of Yahweh, wasn't necessarily a happy circumstance. A terrifying reality was something that they discovered at Mount Sinai. What is the first thing that God wants his people to know and understand about him? Well, they're to understand that he is unlike them. He is holy. He is different from them, separate from them. Unlike them he's perfect and unlike them he is immeasurably powerful. He is their God. And of course the implication is when this God speaks, we must listen. When this God speaks, his will comes into being. When this God speaks, he brings himself glory. God's voice is then compared to the might of nature, and it wins hands down. The voice of the Lord, verse 5, breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. David envisages one particular response to these images of God's power and glory in speaking and it's the image of God's people in the temple. In the temple, he envisages corporate praise of God's people and in his temple all cry glory. So it's a pretty amazing political vision, don't you think? Here's the king of Israel, the political leader of a nation and what does he envisage he envisages a society that is completely clear on who God is and is completely dedicated to corporately praising this God. And they really failed. (laughs) So we might say this psalm also points us to the warning of living in relationship with this God who speaks and is glorious. But before we get there, Uh, a little bit more of David's vision, a vision of God's people living together, glorifying God. We've thought a little bit about how we ascribe God the glory personally, our personal relationships, our personal uh, actions. Within our personal relationships, we have avenues to glorify him. But here's certainly another picture that is worth our reflection and our consideration. As a collective of God's people, here, at St John's at 10 a.m., how do we ascribe the glory to God together? This is a great question to ask at the beginning of a year, isn't it? How do we actually make sure our words and actions together bring God glory in the world? Now, I hope you can see this is an incredibly big picture. We could talk about this all day. It's a big picture question. But think of the things that we do as a church that are actually dedicated to this purpose. So even as we consider mission partners, uh, CMS Summer School is a great time of reflecting on why we support missionaries around the world. Well, in part, it's to see God glorified in every nation of the earth. Uh, We want to ascribe him glory here, but it is our hope that every single nation will recognise that he is their God and has given them life. And so our agenda is to support those who go out and our agenda is to send those to go so that God might be brought the glory in all the world. Uh, Over Christmas, we had the delight of sharing in uh, Christmas services and carols. And again, why do we hold carols? Well, it is true that we want to hold events and do things together as a church that give people who haven't heard about Jesus the opportunity to hear about him and come into relationship with him. That is true. But it's also true, and perhaps it's more the primary purpose, that as we hold something like carols, where our wider society gathers with us, we're very conscious that as we do so, something quite rare is happening. God is being ascribed glory as we work as a church family and our local society who might never think about him is hearing him praised. He is being brought the glory. And I'd say it's almost in the category of miracle as that happens because it's unique. That doesn't happen every day in our world. A unique moment where our world hears God praised in a way that perhaps only we are able to do as a church. So that's a unique opportunity, isn't it? How many other churches are seeking to run a carols in Loftus at Christmas? None that I've heard of. Others are doing it in other places, but there are unique opportunities to unique church families to ascribe God the glory. So, brothers and sisters, let's keep asking that question. How might we go about bringing God glory publicly, both locally and globally, as we seek to see him praised. Of course, uh, there's something that has altered radically from when David wrote this psalm. And you probably guessed where I'm going because we read Hebrews 1 to 4, that intense passage. You're right, Carol, it is intense, isn't it? It's loaded, Um, just so powerful. Uh, But what the New Testament argues and and challenges us to see is that in fact there's even now a more specific glory that must be brought to god Uh, it's not only that he has spoken and created the world spoken and redeemed his people israel but of course what we would argue is he has spoken and come among us as his incarnate son jesus hebrews 1 1 to 4 in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And this Son, we're told in verse 3, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So now it's actually inconceivable that anyone could give God adequate praise and glory without praising God. Jesus who is God's glory who is God's powerful word who has brought God's salvation and who currently sustains all things in this creation this universe by his powerful word now here's a challenge to our age Uh, it's it's not sufficient And this is not a criticism of my friend's earlier comment, thanks be to God, but it's not sufficient to simply talk about God. That does not adequately bring God the glory that he deserves because, of course, the most glorious thing God has done is the self-sacrifice in his son. He has given himself in his son to reconcile us to him, to overcome the power of sin and death. And to redeem humanity. And so now it's simply not adequate to give recognition to God. Which let's face it people of many religions might be content to say amen to. But it must specifically be that we bring glory to the Lord Jesus. Who has laid down his life and died for us that we might live. Uh, God funded at the cross, didn't he? Uh, the the words spoken at the cross, of course, were Jesus. But his words and actions thundered grace to his world in the saving action of Jesus. And now they become the key moment of our praise and giving glory to God. God thunders, of course, today by his spirit as his word is read and his Uh, Spirit convicts sinful hearts and splinters them, a bit like the oaks and the cedars in the poem, God thunders by his spirit, leading people to recognise that he alone is due the glory. And so today, uh, if you're here at church, you may be a Christian and you've been walking with the Lord for many years, uh, but I wonder if this psalm refreshingly challenges you to ratchet up your praise of God once more. Perhaps it's grown a little bit calm. Maybe it needs to be a little bit more radical in 2024. Um, Ascribe God the glory. He has saved you through his son. And of course, if you're here today and you're not yet following Jesus and you've thought he's a side note of history, see that God is calling you to now make him the centre of your life. God sent him to die for you and so, ascribe him the glory as your King and Saviour. Well, finally, uh, we're brought to recognise God's great glory in his eternal rule, but also in his great provision to us in verses 10 to 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as King forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace a couple of thoughts here Uh, the enthronement of god not something anyone would argue about but notice how david pictures the enthronement firstly over the flood that is i think over the pre-existent world where the spirit of god hovered over the waters and called forth creation he was king then at the beginning and he's enthroned as king forever The same yesterday, today and forever. The Lord is king. He is enthroned. Uh, What is he like? He's incredibly generous. Verse 11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. It's great assurance, isn't it? As you follow Jesus in 2024, a reminder just in that verse 11 that the Lord is your strength and he is your peace Uh, And you know how he's accomplished that. You know you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know your sin is forgiven. uh, That should you go to be with him in 2024, you'll meet him as friend and saviour and be welcomed in to his kingdom. But a small warning in verse 11. If the Lord gives strength to his people... And if the Lord blesses his people with peace then a reminder to be outside of his people to not be among God's people is a great predicament indeed. It's to not know strength to not know peace and to not be accepted And the wonderful call of Psalm 29, as with all of scripture, is that you're completely welcome. Uh, This is the God who is generous. If you're not yet one of his people, the psalm calls you to become one of his people. To accept him as the Lord of your life. To accept Jesus, the King he has provided for us. And to ascribe him the glory he deserves. So brothers and sisters, as we go out this morning, um, in a sense into a new year, although I'm a couple of weeks late to say that, uh, as we go out this week, we go with this word on our hearts, how will I ascribe glory to God? How will I declare his name uh, among the people that I move amongst during the week? How will we ascribe glory to God as his people here in Sutherland? So that the world might hear. He is the glorious King who has saved us and who has provided for them so wonderfully in Christ. Let's pray. Our loving Lord God, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. We thank you that you are the God who speaks and we thank you for speaking to us today. We ask, Lord God, that you'd take our uh, flawed efforts and strengthen us to bring you all the glory you deserve. Help us to name drop you into our conversations. Help us to glorify you before our friends and neighbours, family members. Help us to bring you back into conversation and give you the glory you deserve. And Lord as a church, help us to see where the opportunities are for us to declare your praises to our neighbourhood. And we thank you for our linked missionaries that so faithfully proclaim you among the nations. We long to see your name glorified across the earth. We ask that you would do this in
0: Jesus' name. Amen.